Genesis chapter 23. Uh, last Sunday we were um, studying, of course, chapter 22, and that's uh, the the this, the, uh, the time when Abraham took Isaac to Mount Moriah, and uh, we remember that instead of Isaac becoming the burnt offering. God provided the sacrifice. So, as we have been studying uh, Genesis, we, we know that God has made a number, He's made primarily one promise to Abraham that Abraham has believed, and he believes it because he believes in God. He believes in Him as a, uh, that He is capable of doing what He's promised Him, and He believes in His nature, His good nature, and so He trusts God. So when God's told him something, he believes it. And so uh, when God gave him this command to take his son to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him, he had something to wrestle with, didn't he? He had to, he had to think about who God is, and that doesn't change. And then he had to think about what God has promised him, and that these promises were going to be channeled through Isaac. And so here he's asking Isaac to be sacrificed. And so that was the command. And that put uh, things in uh, apparent contradiction. God has made a, a promise. And what he's asking him to do completely destroys everything he said he was going to do. And so Abraham really had to wrestle with this. And what he ultimately decided was that God would bail him out. At the last minute, God was going to provide the sacrifice. Uh, this is what he meant, meant when he said, the Lord will provide. And we know this is true because when him and Isaac were going up the mountain and Isaac asked him, you know, where's the lamb? <clears throat> Abraham said, the Lord will provide the lamb. And so he had every belief that God was going to do that. But God had told him to sacrifice his son, and so he thought, well... Even if he does not do that, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that Abraham also thought, well, if this actually goes through all the way, God will raise my child up. It's the only way he can continue to fulfill his promise through Isaac. So if Isaac dies, he's got to bring him back. It's the only solution. So these are the things that Abraham was wrestling with. These are the things that he decided to obey. And so when we come to Calvary, all of these things are in place because in this situation, there was no one there to stop the, the dad from sacrificing his son. The son was sacrificed and the price was paid by him. And so we have that picture at Calvary of, of the son actually being sacrificed and then the son actually being raised from the dead. The substitution of the ram over Isaac is also pictured at Calvary because we get to decide if we want Jesus to be our substitute or not. You know, we, we make the decision consciously whether or not we're going to live our lives in a certain way. And then when we pass away and we stand before God, whether we're going to stand before him with everything on our own shoulders, talking about how... This is what I've done with my life, all the goods and bads, and weigh it out, God, and I, I see you can, you can see that I've been good enough. And this is what a lot of people think is going to happen. Or you can recognize that that's the last thing you want to do, 
and that you need a substitute. So all of these things that transpired in Genesis chapter 22 are pictures of what happened at Calvary on the cross. When we walk down the sidewalk and the sun's shining and there's our, our shadow is cast on the, on the ground, that is a picture of the real thing. It's not a very good picture. It's, it's, it's got problems. The shadow has problems. It's not a perfect picture. And so when we come to the cross, we have the perfect sacrifice, the perfect substitute, and everything's there in place. It's not a shadow anymore. And this is our blessed hope as believers that when we've lived our life in the fear of God and we do pass away, that God will raise us up. Now, uh, have you ever heard the phrase, uh, you can't make this stuff up? You can't make this up. So, uh, well, today, uh, my niece Sarah and Mark and Kate and Matthew are here for the very first time, and we've came to chapter 23 when Sarah dies. So, and uh, so, Sarah, there's no subliminal messages here. It's just... Uh, this is where we, we move through the books, and wouldn't you know, on the one day Sarah visits. So, uh, in the movie The Lion King, we remember that there's the, the circle of life, and it carries the idea that all things continuously recycle, all things continuously return in the circle of life. But in the Bible, we know that the soul of man does not continuously return. In fact, when we die, we don't cease to exist, we just change locations. So that is a difference there between what the Bible teaches and what we see in the Lion King, because the Lion King does not focus on the soul of man. Um, but in the Bible, there is a cycle. There is a cycle there, the ebb and flow of life, the ebb and flow of life and death, uh, the law of sin and death. There's, you know, summer and winter and springtime and harvest and this cycle. And when we think about the fact that, you know, um, you know, just imagine someone who's very wealthy and very famous, but ultimately they're going to pass away and all of those things that they've accomplished and all of those things that they have are going to be left to other people. They're not going to take them with them. And even the most famous and well-known and prestigious persons, people that we know on the planet, they all are going to face the same fate as we are. And so uh, when you think of it like that, you can have a tendency to believe that you are insignificant. You can feel insignificant. Uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, which of course was written by Solomon, he describes this, the cycle of the law of sin and death, the uh, summer and winter and springtime and harvest. He talks about that cycle. And I'm going to read the passage to you. It's from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It's the first 11 verses. You can turn there with you if you want, but we will be returning and reading from Genesis 23 in just a minute. This is a familiar passage. You've probably heard it read at funerals. It says, there is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing, 
a time to search and a time to count as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for a war and a time for peace. In the first nine it says, what does the worker gain from his struggles? I've seen the task that God has given people to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. And he has also put eternity in their hearts. But man cannot discover the work of God, uh, cannot discover the work God has done from, done from the very beginning all the way to the end. And it all summarizes in that last verse, doesn't it? In verse 11, because he's, uh, he's given us two sides of the coin. On one hand, he's saying that um, God hasn't, uh, he's, he's saying that, you know, God has left us in the dark to a point on many things. But on the other side of that, it says that he's done that on purpose. He's intentionally, by design, not given us all of the information. And so this leaves us with the, uh, the choice of feeling insignificant or having humility. You know, insignificance is felt when we, when we fail to remember that we, do not, that we actually do play a small but very important part in God's overall plan. But uh, if you just think big picture, I know this is kind of a depressing subject just to start out with, but just the way life goes, you can, if you... If you just see it all and it just seems like it's all vanity of vanities and what's the point? That insignificance is what we feel when we forget that God is in control, He has a plan, and that if we live for Him, we get the privilege of playing a very important part in His plan. Now, when we look at the, the Bible here, we've been studying Abraham and Sarah, and today Sarah is someone we're looking at, and, and uh, you know, we know some things about her, her character. We know about her faith. We've seen things she's done well and things she hasn't done so well. But it's kind of like big pieces. And so really, if we were honest, we know very little about her as a woman. We really don't even know what she looked like. And there's so many things in between those big pieces, aren't there? And, but we know that Sarah was anything but insignificant. Her life was very important. It was very significant, and so was ours. In the passage this morning, what we're going to see happen is Sarah pass away, and then we're going to see Abraham mourn for her, and then he's going to make the funeral arrangements. This is what happens in chapter 23. We see a husband, a husband's wife has died before him, which is not the way it usually happens. And from this, there are some very important things for us to observe. So as we read through this chapter, there's going to be three to four uh, really important things for us to observe. And these are not three or four important things that I came up with or my brilliance recognized. It's just the way the chapter's laid out for us. It's what God's actually just showing us as we, as we read through it together. And so uh, I'm going to move back to Genesis chapter 23. And uh, again, what we're going to see, and just because we, we'll read it in three parts. In the first part, we see Sarah has passed away and, and Abraham mourns for her. And then we're going to see him move into making funeral arrangements. And as he does this, we're going to see some more things. We're going to see 
what people think about Abraham. Not what Abraham thinks about himself, but what people think about him. And we'll find out that he's, he's very highly thought of, he's very respected. He has a very strong, good reputation. And as he moves through this process that I'm sure he did not enjoy at all, we see him doing something very important, and that is that he is guarding his reputation. So these are three very important things for us to see. Um, we'll begin reading in, in uh, Genesis chapter 23. I was going to look at that. I, I forgot to give you Solomon. There he is. So, but, uh, so we'll, we'll, read a, we'll begin reading in Genesis chapter 23. And uh, that is Hebron. That is modern day Hebron. Which is about 30 miles from south of it, uh, Jerusalem. So uh, Genesis chapter 23, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Sarah lived 127 years. These were all the years of her life. Sarah died uh, in Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. So we have been in chapters 21 and 22 uh, where they have been living in, in a Beersheba, in the land of the Philistines where that well was. And so now that we come to this place, we have moved back to Hebron and about 20 years have passed and Sarah dies. And so as important as Sarah and Abraham are in God's plan, they do not escape the law of sin and death. They will still die, just like we will. If you ever think that you're too important, then you're kidding yourself. And so each one of us has to live with our mortality in mind. I think we all know who Woody Allen is, and he is obsessed with death and everything he does, and uh, he always tries to say something humorous about it. But um, uh, it's my understanding that, that Mr. Allen is an atheist, uh, he's Jewish, and um, so it's a, it's a shame. He's, he's uh, so many good things I could say about him and, and other things you can't. But about death, he said, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Uh, but to quote someone else who has a little bit more insight is a Puritan by the name of Richard Baxter. And he said that heaven is won or lost here. The possession is there when we die. But the preparation is here. And so as we consider what Abraham is going through uh, with his wife passing away, this is someone he, he dearly loved. Um, I think we can all relate to, to how he felt because I think all of us have lost loved ones. And uh, Ray Steadman said this, as you perhaps already know, if you have wept with Abraham, the well of grief is fed by the springs of memory. Because the law of sin and death is an inevitable truth, mourning is a fact of life. We will all go through these things, but God wants us to, to stay with him as we go through our darkest valleys. This is very important that when, when uh, things don't go well, that we don't decide to go off and, and take care of it on our own, to take care of things in our own minds, and to wander away from the lighted path, but to stay with God the whole time. Let me walk through the valley with you 
And this is a very important point. There's a man by the name of Donald Barnhouse, who was a, a well-known pastor in his day, and, and he told the story about a, a Christian girl whose husband had went away to war, and she was staying with her parents while he was gone, and uh, the telegram came that uh, he had died, that her husband had died in the war. And so she tells her mom, she says, Mom, I'm going up to my room. Please leave me alone. And so... Um, uh, the mother quickly got on the phone and told her husband, and he quickly came home. And so he uh, he rushes home from work, and he, he runs upstairs to talk to his daughter, and the floor is carpeted, so she doesn't hear him come in. He opens the door real quiet, and she's on her knees praying. And she, <clears throat> he hears her saying, Oh, my Heavenly Father. And she just keeps saying it over and over. So, <clears throat> the dad, um, Ava was real upset, so he said, Craig, you have to do something. <laughs> so I took Ava. <laughs> It is true that I cry too much. It is true. We all know that. Hmm. Anyway, the buck fell to the dad to fix it. And so he came back downstairs and he said to his wife, uh, Honey, she's in better hands than mine. Tell you something funny. It's my help. <laughs> Last night at dinner, uh, we were talking about church in the morning, and uh, and uh, she was telling Ava, the youngest one, um, we had church in the morning, and she said, "We do." She said, "Yeah, it's Sunday." And and Ava said, "Well, that's when we go to church too." <laughs> <laughs> Well, as we continue in this chapter, we're going to see Abraham looking into the future. And uh, he's looking farther ahead than he can possibly see. And that's something that's worth looking up to because uh, we see his behavior is following what he believes. It's affecting what he does. And this is really important. Uh, this is an important thing for us to see what happens next here. Um, you know, there are those that I would not want to preach their funeral, that I would dread to preach their funeral. Um, I, have, I have given the message at funerals when I had no reason to believe that the person is in heaven. I, got, I have no reason to believe it. Um, so those of us who are still alive, we should live our lives in such a way so that our loved ones will not have to wonder or question where we have gone. That way, when we do grieve, there can be good grief. 
And Sarah is an example of that for us. She is a woman who's looked up to in the Bible. this on Facebook tonight, I'm going to edit all of this out. It won't be there. Trust me. It will not be on Facebook. So, but uh, um, There's a lot of jokes coming up, so we're in good shape here. Uh, I was going to say is that Sarah died in the middle of God's promise. And that's, uh, you know, you're going to die, how about dying in the center of God's will? Yeah. And Tommy, I feel sorry for you guys because you don't have any idea why I'm all choked up. <laughs> so, uh, Genesis chapter 23, we're going to continue. So, um, Chapter 23, beginning in verse 3. Sarah's died, and uh, I've got to go down here. Alright. If I see my wife, I lose it. Okay. So, uh, Sarah's passed away, and, and Abraham has mourned for her. But there's, there's, he's got work to do. He's got to make funeral arrangements, and so he's got some hard decisions to make because, you know, traditionally you are buried in your in your home, where you're where you're from. Um, if you're on vacation in Mexico and you pass away, you know they don't usually bury you in Mexico. You come back to Cincinnati where you live, and so Abraham wasn't from Canaan. He was from the area of Mesopotamia. God had promised him that land. And he didn't own any of it. He didn't own anything yet. He was very wealthy. Highly thought of. Had a huge clan. But he didn't own anything. And now his wife's passed away. What's Abraham going to do? Verse 3. Then Abraham got up from beside his dead wife and he spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am a resident alien among you. Give me a burial site among you so that I can bury my dead. And the Hittites replied to Abraham, Listen to us, Lord. You are God's chosen one among us. Bury your dead in our finest burial place. None of us will withhold from you his burial place for burying your dead. If there was a trap door. Um, so none of us will withhold from you uh, a burial place for your dead. So we see right there that they really thought a lot about Abraham and um, I think in Sunday school last Sunday we talked about how um, we, our witness as Christians is our testimony, but nobody knows your testimony if you don't tell it. And then another way we witness is with our lives. 
And, but if you don't match your life with your testimony, then you get all the credit. They think, oh, well, he's such a nice person. That's a, I, you know, I can't say one thing bad about her. She's just such a nice lady. But they don't know why. And then all of a sudden you're getting the credit. And it's, that's not the, what we want to do, is it? And so here, this is what we see. It says, you are a mighty prince among us. You are God's chosen among us. It's literally in the Hebrew, you are a prince of God among us. And so he was highly thought of. He had a very good, strong reputation. But what they saw was that he had a, a relationship with God. And that's why he had a strong reputation. A reputation is something that is, is built over time. And uh, the, all of the people you know, you can actually kind of have one reputation with this person and one with this person and one with this person. That's kind of true. But overall, what are we talking about? Overall, it's the people that know you. They evaluate your life's choices to decide what kind of a person you are. So when they determine what they think about you, it's by watching you make your life choices. So a good reputation is something that is earned. It's something that can be lost very quickly. Uh, and of course, there's nothing worse than tarnishing your reputation because of your own bad behavior. And so from the Bible, if we know that if, if that's the case, uh, if we have done things that tarnish our own, our own reputation, what do we do? Do we give up? Is a Christian supposed to give up when he's failed? What are we supposed to do when we messed it up? We're supposed to confess our sins to God do whatever we can to make things right with the people that we've offended and move forward and rebuild with humility. So a, a reputation can be restored, uh, even if it's something that's uh, been damaged over long, for a long period of time. Um, you might have heard someone say that they don't care what anybody thinks. Well, um, you know, there, there are people who may not like you because of what you believe, what you do or don't do. Um, that's true. And so if you're going to have a, uh, if you're going to have, be a person who has integrity, integrity means that you are a whole person. You're not a divided person. You have honesty and strong moral principles. And so you just, you're unwavering. You know, it's just a consistency in, in who you are as a person. That's someone with integrity. And so uh, if, if they don't like you because you are maintaining integrity, that might be okay. But we remember that we are tasked with the Great Commission and that we're to be a light to the nations and a witness to all those who, who come into contact. You know, I'm, I don't really have much of a relationship with anybody uh, overseas or even other cities, even in Ohio, but there are people that I have contact with on a daily basis, and so I'm very accountable for how I, I deal with that. And so are you. And so this is something where we actually do care about what other people think, but we have to protect our integrity, regardless of whether they like us or not. Um, but it's, it's a, you know, ask yourself this, um, you know, what do you do when you ask yourself, can this person watch my child? 
What are you doing? You're looking at the life choices, the overall of the person, not something they did wrong last year or something. You're just you're looking at their at the content of this person, the measure of a man, their integrity. And so this is something that they had with him. Uh, so for a Christian, integrity should be should be be defined by your reputation. That's how you should know. So uh, Abraham had that. This was a man who at one point we know uh, was not thought of well in Egypt. He obviously was not thought of well in Mesopotamia. He went to, went to war with those kings there. Uh, he, he messed up in Egypt. He uh, messed up with Abimelech. He had to stand his ground against those kings in the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the valley there where Sodom and Gomorrah were. And so as he you know, went through life, there were times when he did things that damaged his reputation, and then there were times when he did the right thing and it damaged his relationship with those people. But we're talking about over a period of time, as you've stood the course of time, you know, who are you? Are you a person of integrity? And this is what we see in Abraham. So it's very good because here Abraham is kind of in a, in a tight spot. And what do you know? It's paid off. So uh, this is something that not only is, is gained, but it's something that is to be guarded. And the remainder of the chapter really has to deal with Abraham guarding and protecting his witness with these people. So we'll finish the chapter now, beginning of verse 7. It says, well, then, they, then they've offered this land to him. They've told him he can have anything he wants. And so Abraham rose and he bowed down to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, if you are willing uh, for me to bury my dead, listen to me and ask Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf to give me the cave of Machpelah that belongs to him. It is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me in your presence for the full price as a burial place. Well, Ephron was present with the Hittites, and so in the presence of all of the Hittites, he came to the gate of the city. And we talked about how at the gate of the city was where a lot of business was done. Remember, Lot sat at the gate of the city in Sodom. So uh, in the presence of all the Hittites who came to the gate of his city, Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham. He said, No, my lord, listen to me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that's in it. I give it to you in the presence of all my people. There you're dead. Well, Abraham bowed down to the people of the land, and he said to Ephron, in the presence of the people of the land, please listen to me. Let me pay the price of the field. Accept it from me, and let me bury my dead there. Well, Ephron answered Abraham, and he said to him, my Lord, listen to me. Land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. So Abraham agreed with Ephron, and Abraham weighed out to Ephron the silver that he had agreed to in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver at the current commercial rate. So Ephron's field at Machpelah near Mamre, which is in Hebron, the field with this cave and all the trees anywhere within the boundaries of the field became Abraham's possession in the presence of all the Hittites who came to the gate of his city. And after this, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave of the field at Machpelah near Mamre in the land of Canaan. The field with this cave passed from the Hittites to Abraham as a burial place. So we see here that, uh, that uh, a gift was offered to him, uh, a very lavish gift. And we have to kind of appreciate Ephron's move because he, he offers the gift and then 
places the price on the gift. He says, I'm giving you this that's worth this much money. And so if anything's to be haggled over, it's kind of solidified the, the value. And so it's kind of a shrewd move. But the price was actually too high from what I've read. But Abraham did not dispute that. And that's because he wanted to avoid future problems. You know, offering the cave and the field to him was a, a polite gesture. Uh, but that's something that he should not have taken them up on. You know, I've offered things to people as polite gestures that they shouldn't have taken me up on. But they did. There's some people I know that if I offer them polite gestures from here to eternity, they're going to continue to take it from me. You know. But we're Christians. They're supposed to be people of integrity. And so when someone makes a polite gesture to you, remember that you have to do the right thing. Some things we do not take advantage of other people in their situation. And so this is one of those deals where they had a high reputation of Abraham because of his relationship with God. And so to take this gift from them, it would cause future, future problems on down the road and also leave a bad taste in their mouth. And that would, uh, that would affect their view of this God that Abraham knows so well. Um, the bulk of this chapter is devoted to this agreement over land. Uh, I mean, almost the whole chapter. That doesn't minimize the importance of Sarah, the loss of Sarah. She was his best friend, his life